Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 180. It's titled, Can You Generate Better Investment Returns Than Harvard or Yale or your favorite, your alma mater? Interesting question. I got an email from Greg. He's a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, and he pointed me to an article by Ben Carlson. He's the director of Institutional Asset Management at Ritholtz Wealth Management. And he was comparing a three-portfolio Vanguard portfolio and looking at the returns of that portfolio over three, five, and 10 years compared to college endowments. I used to manage money or advise college endowments. I had a number of university clients, including Texas A&M University System, University of Puget Sound, and and others. And each February, these rankings would come out. It was a study put together by NACUBO, which stands for the National Association of College and University Business Officers. At least it used to. Maybe they just go by NACUBO now. And jointly with Common Fund, which is an organization, investment management organization that manages has for many, many years managed some assets for college endowments. And they do a survey and they ask, and about 800 colleges or so participate, share their investment performance, share their asset allocation, their spending policies. And it's a really, really fascinating study. And now it's really, really expensive. A thousand dollars if you're not a member to get this study. So when Greg sent me this article, the article included the the statistics. What have colleges done over the, the past number of years? And this came out last February, so February 2017. So the data goes through June 2016. Greg points out that, and and so does Ben, in the piece that most endowments don't do as well as a simple three-fund portfolio. And he's asking why. Now, Ben Carlson gives some reasons why, but I used to spend a lot of time looking at the Kubo data and because clients would sometimes ask, why? Why are we doing better than the average? Why are we not doing so well. And it's it's a fascinating exercise and one that I hadn't done in a number of years. So I, I enjoyed the challenge. Carlson, the article writes, endowment funds try to invest in only 
the best money managers, utilizing both the public and private markets to find the very best investment opportunities. They're well-staffed and well-educated. They have access to the best and brightest minds in finance and are able to invest in funds that are reserved only for those with many millions or even billions of dollars and the right connections. Peer rankings are everything to these funds. And that's true. Many of the employees who run these endowments actually receive performance bonuses tied to how well they do in relation to their peer rankings. So the colleges are focused on it. The reason why Greg was interested in it, and he he sent me the article, he writes, I find this interesting as it relates to my own struggle with the trade-off between a simple portfolio and possibly a higher risk-adjusted returns by including more asset classes. Having the discipline to stick with a more complex portfolio can be difficult when certain asset classes are underperforming. So is it better to have a multi-asset class portfolio? For example, the model portfolios on Money for the Restless Plus have 10 different ETFs and or funds and multiple asset classes. My personal portfolio has over a dozen asset classes. And is that a better way to build a portfolio? How is it that simply combining the Vanguard Total Bond Index Fund, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, which is just U.S. stocks, and the Vanguard Total International Stock Market Index, simple three mutual funds combined together over the past 10 years, ending June 2016, outperformed not only the average endowment, the return of that portfolio was about 5.9 to 6%. The average endowment returned 5% annualized over that 10-year period. Top quartile endowment returned 5.3 and the top decile 5.4. That portfolio, three mutual funds outperformed. We need to figure out why, because it helps us to decide how we should structure our own portfolio. I'm going to share with you a lot of data in this episode, and I put together a spreadsheet which summarizes the data, has some of the calculations, because it's important to have some data. And you, if you remember my free insider's guide, I sent you the link to this spreadsheet. If you're not a member of that, you can sign up and get the spreadsheet right away. If you're a U.S.-based listener, text the word portfolios, P-O-T-F-O-L-I-O-S, portfolios to the number 44222. You'll text and you'll immediately get an email with this spreadsheet that you can, with the download basically attached. So that's portfolios to the number 44222. If you're a non-US-based listener, just go to moneyfortherestofus.com, sign up there, and I'll get you that spreadsheet. Now, the first thing to consider when looking at return differentials between two portfolios is what is their asset allocation and does it differ? Because usually 
return differentials can be determined by differences in the asset allocation. Now, the Bogle portfolio, that's what Ben Carlson calls it, is 40% U.S. total stock market index fund, 20% international stock market index fund, so non-U.S., and 40% total bond market index fund. Now, that that's, was sort of what he used. Now, I replicated his returns and didn't quite get them exactly. I, I used correlated data of those funds, did a weighted average, and, and calculated. You can see it in the spreadsheet. I'm not sure how he calculated. I'm not sure his frequency of rebalancing. I assumed quarterly re- rebalancing, but we're pretty, pretty close in terms of our returns. But it shows the difference between that portfolio. So that's a that's a 40% U.S. stocks, 40% bonds, and 20% international stocks. Most college endowments have some additional asset classes. They, they will have less in bonds, less in U.S. stocks. The, the study shows about the same in international stocks, around 20%, but they have alternative investments. They have investments in private equity, such as leveraged buyout funds and venture capital, real estate, private real estate investments, timber investments, energy investments, and hedge funds, which are a diversifying strategy that isn't really an asset class. That's an investment vehicle, but that's a, a, a also a very large portion. So, for example, endowments over a billion dollars have 58% on average in these alternative investment vehicles. Those under 25 million have 10% in alternatives. And, and those sort of, it kind of goes from that scale. So from 10 to 58, and the larger the endowment, the more they have in these alternative investments. And again, this three portfolio portfolio did better than than all of them. So the question is, maybe alternative investments didn't do as well. And that's one of the things I first look at looked at. I, I thought, well, how have for that 10-year period did alternative investments do? And they actually didn't do too badly. This is this is Thompson One data that some indices that they put together. Now, these are our time-weighted returns, and so it doesn't factor in the cash flow timing of these investments. Most alternative investments you should consider do what's called an internal rate of return calculation, a dollar weighted return. So the return you calculate reflects when the money was received by the manager and when they sent it back to the investor because the manager controls that decision within the private equity space. If you're investing in Vanguard mutual funds, you control when you send money in and want your money back, in which case that's why time weighted returns are they're cash flow neutral. Dollar weighted returns reflect those the timing of the cash flows. But Thompson One does some time-weighted 
indices, looking at, on aggregate, how venture capital has done, buyout funds, and other alternative investments. So they show for the 10 years ending June 2016 that venture capital and buyout funds each returned around 10% annualized. So they did better than the stock market. The the U.S. stock market over that 10-year period, as as measured by the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, returned 7.3%. The International Stock Index Fund only returned 1.9%. And that's where it gets to asset allocation. A university endowment that had 30% in non-U.S. stocks versus 20% is going to trail because there was a very large differential between international stocks and U.S. stocks. And we'll see in a few minutes the reason why because U.S. stocks got more expensive over that 10-year period of time versus non-U.S. stocks. So that's a differential. The mountain bonds, bonds had a really good 10-year period. They returned 5% annualized for the 10-year period ending June 2016 because interest rates declined over that period. The 10-year treasury was yielding 5.15% in June 2006. By June 30th, 2016, that was yielding 1.49%. So you had this, this tailwind of declining interest rates. So it significantly boosted the return. But again, this Thompson One data, venture capital and buyout funds did just fine. Mezzanine and distressed debt returned about 8.5%. Private real estate Not so well, only about 5%. So private real estate did kind of in line with the bond market. Natural resources funds, this would be timber, for example, energy did around 4.8%. So again, over this 10-year period, didn't necessarily do as well as the bond market. But what really fell short, and I think this is a big determinant of the differential, were hedge funds. Two hedge fund indices I was able to pull up. One is the Credit Suisse Hedge Fund Index. It returned 4.2% annualized for the 10-year period ending June 2016. And another one, a lot of the smaller endowments, they're not going to invest directly in hedge funds because they don't have enough capital. So they'll go into a fund of funds. So this is a fund that you pay a management fee who then is selecting underlying hedge funds that are also charging potentially 2% plus 20% of the profit. Now, a typical fund-to-fund isn't going to charge. They might charge 1%. They're not charging 2% management fee, but you have a lot of fees. Well, the HFRI, Conservative Fund-to-Funds Index, so these would be absolute return funds, so more conservative funds for the 10-year period ending June 2016, they only return 1.8%. So the more an an endowment had invested in hedge fund, the bigger drag on performance. The more potentially in venture capital and buyout funds, the better the performance and would have done better than the stock market depending on the particular funds that they held. But here's the thing these smaller endowments are probably still building out their private equity program. And in the early years of a venture capital and buyout funds, 
It's just pulling money in. It's not toward the sort of the end of the 10-year life or 12-year life of the fund where the, the buyout fund is able to do initial public offerings, the venture capital, same way, or they find ways to realize some value out of their investment. So if you're an endowment and you're building out a plan, you can, you're not going to get the 10% type return that you see for in those Thompson One numbers for venture capital or leverage buyout funds. And that would have been a drag compared to the bond market that did 5% annualized because interest rates were declining. Let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. One of the things I did on that spreadsheet is I wanted to see what was the impact of the different asset allocations that the different size endowments had in terms of returns. So I knew how much they had in alternative investments. I didn't necessarily have the breakdown between them, but I used sort of a typical breakdown we would have seen for our university clients at my former firm. And I did a weighted average of those underlying Thompson One indices for private equity and the hedge fund indices to, to sort of compare. So for example, the 
hundred million to five hundred million dollar endowment, they returned four point eight percent annualized for the ten-year period ending June twenty sixteen. Again, when we compare that to the the Bogle portfolio that had forty percent U.S. stocks, twenty percent non-U.S. and forty percent bonds, that returned five point eight five percent. So this. 500 million to a, I'm sorry, the 100 million to 500 million dollar endowment returned 4.8%, about 1% less than that Bogle portfolio. Now, the question is how much would asset allocation have determined that? And so I did sort of a simulated 10 year return using their US stock exposure for that bucket their bond exposure, their non-U.S., and their alternative exposure. And I got a return of 5.1%. So very close to what their asset allocation would have would have suggest, su- suggested. And I did that for the different bucks. You can see that in the spreadsheet. Generally speaking, the larger endowments over a billion dollars did better than what their 10-year predicted return would have been based on their asset allocation. Probably because they can get access to some of the the top premium managers in the space. So they did better, whereas the smaller endowments didn't didn't do as well, particularly because in many cases, they were probably building out their private capital program. Now, why are university endowments moving more and more to alternative investments, such as private equity, timber, real assets, real estate? Well, because they're looking on a forward basis and seeing the valuations of stocks that expectations over the next decade or two are going to be lower. They're definitely looking at the very low yields in the bond market where Bonds overall, you know, they're not yielding 5% like they were 10 years ago. They're yielding close to 2 to to 2.5%. And, and in that scenario, they're looking at spending rates. Typical endowment is spending 4 to 5% of their assets every year. And there's no end to these endowments. They invest for perpetuity. So they need long-term returns of 7 8%, 8% or higher. And they can't get them investing just in the U.S. bond market and in global stocks. The, the returns just aren't there. And so they either have to cut their spending rate or they're going to have to see if they can pick up some additional return. And in that most recent 10-year period, it flat out didn't work. The question is, will it work going forward? Because that 10-year period of time, again, saw the bond market return 5% annualized. I have a hard time believing the bond. Well, the math says the bond market over the next 10 years will probably, based on current yield to maturity, will return around 2.5%. Annualized. So there's endowments are looking for, are there other asset classes 
that can do better than that. Investment in energy infrastructure, perhaps via master limited partnership. Investments in private energy deal, private real estate deals, buyouts and venture capitals. Now, one of the things that Carlson points out is that the low-hanging fruit has been picked. Maybe you're not going to get the premiums you historically have gotten with private equity, particularly as more and more colleges invest in it. And I think there's true. that's true. You're not going to get as high as return, but I do think you could do better than the bond market and potentially better than the stock market with these private investments. But it takes time to build out a program. And it's definitely been a drag for those newer programs over the past 10 years. Now, hedge funds is a different story. Not convinced. I think so much money has gone to hedge funds. And hedge funds, the whole idea is that they're smarter than everyone else and that they can get some type of informational edge and deliver returns that perhaps equivalent to the stock market, certainly better than the bond market. But that that hasn't been the case. Conservative fund of funds returned, as I mentioned, 1.8% annualized. Gets drugged down by fees. And that's another one of Carlson's points. The cost can be prohibitive. If you're going to put money in alternative investments, make sure you're getting the bang for your buck. And sometimes the, these programs just aren't able to get access to the funds and, and that can impact it. Now, another impact, though, was the U.S. stock market just did significantly better than the international stock market. One of the allocations I did is I asked, OK, a 40-40-20 portfolio So 40% U.S. stocks, 40% bonds, 20% international return, 5.85% annualized for the 10 years ending June 2016. What if the mix was different? What if it was more like the global stock market, which is about half U.S., half non-U.S.? In this case, let's look at a a 40% bond portfolio, 30% U.S. stocks, and 30% non-U.S. stocks. That returned 5.3%, so closer to how the endowments had had done. Now, why did the U.S. stock market do better than the non-U.S. stock market? What got more expensive? The price-to-earnings ratio of U.S. stocks for that 10-year period went from, this is the MSCI U.S. index, went from 18.2 to 21.7, so it went up up about three and a half points. Whereas non-U.S. stocks returned, their their P.E. went from 16.7 to 18.2 over that 10-year period. So this is what investors are willing to pay for a dollar's or equivalent foreign currency's worth of earnings. So if investors are willing to pay more, that pushes up valuations and leads to higher returns. Non-U.S. stocks, the valuation increase was only one and a half points versus three and a half points for U.S. stocks. And emerging market valuations actually got more attractive. Their P.E. went from 13.7 in 2006 down to 12.3 in June 2016. And so that was a drag on performance. Also, just because valuations got cheaper. And so it's not enough just to look back. We have to see what drove performance 
And how has asset allocation, just a different mix, impact returns? Now, there's another challenge with managing an endowment, and and that's just, it's difficult. You have human nature. I've sat with a lot of boards, investment committees. They can be impatient. They want to do things. They want to make changes to improve. Oftentimes, they they pull out of an asset class or terminate a manager too soon. I've seen it. It's like, I call it standing in front of a freight train oftentimes. When you've got this committee, they're wanting to do stuff, and you're trying to get them to just, just settle down and be patient. But oftentimes, they want to make changes. I remember working with one university client, and the 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 committee kept changing. The people on the committee and the chair kept changing. And you had this rotation. And every time you get a new group, they wanted to do something completely different. That hurt their performance. Now, those are backward-looking numbers. We want to look going forward. What's the expectation in terms of your asset allocation? Should you just hold three mutual funds or three ETFs? I had a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus recently write me, and he's got a two-portfolio, or two-mutual fund portfolio. He owns the Vanguard Intermediate Corporate Bond Index Fund, Admiral Shales, shares. He's got 40% in that and 60% in the Total Stock Market Index Fund, just U.S. stocks, so 60-40. He ran his portfolio through Portfolio Visualizer, which is a great site, PortfolioVisualizer.com, looked at the historical returns, looked at the risk in terms of the sharp ratio, sharp ratio, which is the essentially the return on the portfolio less the risk-free rate divided by the volatility as measured by standard deviation, and the higher the sharp ratio, the better. And he looked at that returns and he compared it to the moderate model portfolio on money for the rest of us plus. And he only could get about two years of data going back based on those model portfolios. And he found his portfolio did better. This US-centric portfolio returned 11.5% over that roughly two-year period versus 9.3% for the model portfolio. So is that a better portfolio, just all US and in terms of both stock and bonds, or is a diversified approach better? That, that Certainly, historically, over that two-year period, that was the case. Better to be all U.S. But again, valuations increased. But what I want to look at is when I put together a portfolio, my own or a model portfolio, I'm looking forward in time. What's the expectation? Now, I did an apples-to-apple comparison because the model portfolios on Money for the Rest of Us Plus have only been in place since April 1st, 2016. So when I compare his portfolio to the model over that same time frame, and, and that moderate portfolio is 40% bonds, so similar to his, but it's more diversified. It's got emerging market bonds. It has some, some bank loans, et cetera. And for a portion of that time period, it had high yield bonds. So it's 40% bonds. It's 50% stocks, but only... The stocks, only about 36% is in the U.S. versus 100% for his portfolio and includes 21% in emerging markets and it has 10% in income strategies such as REITs and Master Limited Partnership. Now, 
over the same period, so when the models started, so April 1st, 2016, through the end of October 2017, his portfolio returned 11.3%, I'm sorry, 11.2% annualized versus 10.9% for the model. So roughly the same, his did do better, but what we care about is going forward. And when I run an all-U.S. portfolio through the, the, the asset allocation tools of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, I get an expected return over the next decade of 4.4% versus the model, which has an expected return of 5%. So higher expected return, actually similar risk. So expected worst-case maximum drawdown based on history for his about a 35 percent decline versus the model. It's about 37%. So fairly close, but the expectation is higher. And why is it higher? Because valuations are lower in non-U.S. stocks. Emerging markets are growing their earnings faster than, than U.S. stocks. And the, that, the, the structure of the bond portfolio to get a little higher yield than an intermediate corporate bond portfolio that's U.S. only. So we're looking on a forward-looking basis, and that's what you need to do in your portfolio to figure out, well, how many funds do you want? What are the expectations of returns for your assets? And and decide how complex it needs to be. You might not want a 10 ETF portfolio. You might not have sufficient assets to do that. But could you outperform a university over the next decade? You could. You could keep your costs lower. You could avoid the expense of hedge funds. You could build out a diversified portfolio of, of low-cost ETFs and funds. And, and you could do that. But don't just look backwards and say, well, this portfolio through something like Portfolio Visualizer has done better Historically, you need to understand why. What was the asset allocation? And will those expectations hold? Did the portfolio do better because certain stocks within the portfolio or certain assets got more expensive or because interest rate fell? And and will that hold going forward? So we need to look on a forward-looking basis and structure our portfolios that way and then decide how complex we want it to be, but certainly keep our fees as low as possible. Now, again, to get that spreadsheet that I've discussed today, it's free. You can text the word portfolios, the number 44222, or sign up for my free insider's guide on moneyfortherestofus.com. In terms of the asset allocation tools and model portfolio, for that, you need to become a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. We're open for fall enrollment but that closes December 1st. At December 1st, we will no longer be taking new members until next spring. I do that to keep the, the membership at a level that I can provide the, the personal attention and some mentorship. And, and just so that we kind of have this group that comes in in the fall and then another group that can come in in the spring. And so you can get more information on that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I share with you on this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific situation, your risk profile. 
just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.